Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. If you're not happy here, you can leave. That's what I said in a tweet, which I guess some people think is controversial. A lot of people love it, by the way. A lot of people love it. Just one subject under discussion this week, and that's Donald Trump's extraordinary attack on four female Democratic members of Congress, whom he told at the weekend to go back to the crime-infested countries from which they came. The four, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib, responded to the US president on Monday night with a stinging rebuke, accusing him of a blatantly racist attack and saying they would not be marginalized. Weak leaders challenge loyalty to our country. He does not know how to defend his policies. So what he does is attack us personally. And that is what this is all about. Suzanne Lynch, our Washington correspondent, joins me now from the US Capitol. Suzanne, it's almost customary now And if I'm honest, even a little boring to begin a conversation about Donald Trump with the observation that even by Donald Trump's standards, this was extraordinary and so on. But this was a truly extraordinary attack from a US president, wasn't it? It was, Chris. And you're right in that the bar is going ever more lower as we get more familiar with Donald Trump's presidency. But I suppose one can just ask himself, imagine if another prime minister did this, you know, Theresa May called out four members of her own parliament and saying they needed to go back to their country. If if Angela Merkel did something similar, if, if Emmanuel Macron. But with Donald Trump, I think he... Um, he is benefiting now from the fact that Republicans, his own, members of his own party, um, are much less inclined to break ranks with the president on this. And I think that's giving him this kind of comfort blanket to press ahead with these pretty outrageous um, and frankly xenophobic, racist comments like this. Uh, it does also, I think, worryingly for Trump that again uh, may come back to, to haunt him. It, it's reminding people of some of the previous racist uh, tropes he has engaged in before in his presidency. Uh, it's about two years now, coming up to two years since Charlottesville, where he made this equivocation between uh, the neo-Nazi marchers and that and the protesters. Uh, he's also uh, spoke before about um, shithole countries where people, where immigrants come from, his comments on Mexicans and his involvement in the whole race row really about the national anthem ahead of uh, football games here in the United States. So I think this is reminding people um, of this uh, issue around race that Donald Trump uh, has been facing. And I think one of the, the most significant things he said there in the clip you just played was the fact that he said, some people like this, some people agree with me. And this is why he's saying that he believes that really that some of his core supporters um, do agree with him, uh, that, that racism is, if you like, or racist comment is kind of bait for some of his supporters. And he's, I think, banking on that. And that is why he's feeling confident uh, about saying uh, those comments at this point in time. The Democrats in this case, if they want to gear their wagons around these four people, I think they're going to have a very tough election because I don't think the people of the United States will stand for it. John, go ahead. Now, our listeners will have read his tweets from the weekend for themselves, but I I think it's worth repeating a portion of them. And he said, just these are his words, so interesting to see progressive, in quotation marks, Democratic Congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run, 
why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Now, of course, one of the things Suzanne people have pointed out is that three of the four congresswomen who are the target of this attack were born and reared in the United States. I think the exception, obviously, is Elon Omar, who was born in Somalia and arrived as, as a refugee. But I think it's this exhortation to tell these non-white American women to go back to countries from which they came. That, that's the part people consider a new low, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's the fact that they are non-white. Congressman Brendan Boyle, an Irish-American congressman from Philadelphia, he made a very good point uh, on Sunday. He tweeted, I, I am a son of an immigrant. Um, I'm a come from an immigrant family. And yet Donald Trump doesn't seem to have a problem with me. Why not? Obviously, the implication being because he's white. Um, and there are actually several members of, of Congress um, from immigrant families. So I think that is a concern here that he singled out these women and the fact that they are non-white, even though, as you said, three of the four of them are actually born in the United States and all four are American citizens. And I think this is kind of what's worrying. If you, if you delve into this a bit more about the concept of go back to where you where you came from. It's obviously a trope used from the playground up uh, in many countries in the world. Um, but what he's suggesting there is that if you if you question American policy, if you if you raise dissent in any way, that you need to leave the country, essentially. He's, he's saying that, that if you don't like it, uh, go. So in other words, criticism of his policies of America is not allowed. That's a very dangerous concept, I think, to espouse as president of the United States. He's essentially you know, closing down dissent, closing down discussion or, or valid queries. We all live in countries where we question them. People in Ireland question policy every single day, be it healthcare, be it education. And is he quite saying, if you don't, if you don't like the way I'm doing things, just leave? Uh, so this is a very kind of reductive argument uh, that I think is very wor- worrying. And that really underlines his his quite extreme uh, way of, of ruling uh, in, in the United States. He's a president and that doesn't want to bring other people on board. He um, rules through division. He, com- he continues to play to his base rather than trying to, re- to lead for all Americans. And I think this latest intervention is another measure of that. Well, we've seen in the past, Suzanne, that Trump, for all his bombast, he is capable of backing down if something he says or does seems to backfire on him. Or even if he doesn't back down, he'll say something maybe the next day that contradicts what he said the day before. Um, but in this case, he has doubled down on this attack. So what, what, what kind of conclusions or inference do we draw from that? Yeah, I think the I think what was interesting was that this his comments provoked condemnation internationally from people like Justin Trudeau in Canada, Theresa May in Britain, etc. So it really took off as a story internationally. But here the response from Republicans, and I just think that is that is the explanation here, that is the crucial point, that very, very few Republicans were prepared to call Donald Trump out on this. We had some Republicans who began to break ranks on Monday. Um, so people like um, Tim Scott, he's an African-American Republican senator, who said that the president's tweets were deeply offensive. But if we look, for example, at Senator Lindsey Graham, He's a very influential senator here who has flip-flopped on Donald Trump and previously called him out for some of his comments during the presidential campaign, but now has really come in behind Donald Trump as an ally. He said in an interview with Fox on Monday morning that really his point was that the president should aim higher, that he should he should not be dragged down into this kind of level of debate and that he should focus again on, on these four congresswomen's policies and to call them out. Um, so in one sense, you can see there he is calling out Donald Trump, but the, the comment he made next was just staggering. We all know that AOC and this crowd are a bunch of communists, 
They hate Israel. They hate our own country. They're calling the guards uh, along our border, the Border Patrol agents, concentration camp guards. Uh, they accuse people who support Israel of doing it for the Benjamins. Uh, they're anti-Semitic. They're anti-America. So this really visceral criticism of these four congresswomen by another member of the U.S. Senate there, I think encapsulates the context in which Donald Trump is working here. Uh, he is getting support, ultimately, uh, by a lot of his constituents, including these senior responsible members of the Senate, who, yes, are calling him out to an extent, but really saying they kind of agree that, about these, uh, these congressmen, congresswomen's views. And indeed, um, you know, this started on, on Sunday, continued on Monday, and Trump continued his attack with more tweets this morning, Tuesday morning, and he accused the women of spewing vile, hateful, disgusting comments, and he said more things. So is it clear from this that he sees this as an election winner for him? I think so. And I just as more tweets this morning, and I think they're even more visceral. I'm just quoting again from, from Donald Trump's own tweet. He's again he used the word vile, hateful, disgusting. Um, but he's also using words like filthy. Uh, the filthy things they've said, you know, that's a very loaded term. Uh, so he's really not backing down from this. I think Fox News has a huge role to play here. Um, the, Donald Trump obviously has this kind of symbiotic relationship with Fox News and, and does talk to a lot of the uh, the TV hosts on that channel and regu- regularly tweets about particularly Fox and Friends morning programme. And we've seen in the past he's actually seemed to have announced policy from seeing a report he has seen on Fox and Friends. But the context here is that Omar in particular and, and, and these four women have been subject to huge, huge uh, vitriolic abuse from a lot of Fox News commentators over the last, particularly over the last week, but before that too. Um, so I think that is goading him. That's showing him he has support from from um, from those channels. There may also be a, an element of uh, of controlling the narrative here. Donald Trump may be wanting, like he always does, to move the conversation away, which he has, is successfully doing from own issues within his own administration. People have now forgotten, for example, that the Labour Secretary Alexander Acosta had to resign on Friday. They've forgotten about uh, the scandal over Jeffrey Epstein, the financier with whom uh, Trump was friends uh, and had made comments about before. That that had become an, a, a growing issue for Donald Trump. That's all last week's news now. Now the focus is on this. So there may be a kind of uh, deflection strategy going on, and that might explain uh, in part why Donald Trump is really um, continuing to press home this point. The four women we're talking about here, Suzanne, they're known collectively within the Democratic Party as the squad. And, and indeed, they've had their own difficulties within the party. And I want to come back to that in a minute. But just just maybe to tell us a bit about them. I mean, Ocasio-Cortez, widely known as AOC, she's probably the best known of the four, isn't she? She's the best known. Uh, she's a 29-year-old congresswoman, congresswoman from New York. And she um, burst onto the national scene when she defeated Joe Crowley. He was an Irish-American, very senior member of Congress in New York. Um, and she mounted a primary challenge to him and unexpectedly won that primary challenge. She she had no formal political experience. She hadn't served at, at state level or anything. Um, she had been working as a bar uh, tender at that point. And she had worked for Bernie Sanders in his campaign and was very much in the activist community. So she really kind of swept... Um, got swept up in this fervor about the new recruits to uh, the U.S. Congress in the midterm elections. But the other three um, have also made quite a splash. Uh, Ayanna Presley, she um, she represents a district in Massachusetts that I believe was held by Tip O'Neill and John F. Kennedy, so hugely Democratic stronghold. But again, um, she symbolizes the same as AOC, how demographics change in America. So Joe Crowdy represented Irish America, AOC, a more Hispanic group. But Ariana Presley um, 
won election in November to on this district in, in, in northern Boston, in southern Boston, I think. She was the first African-American woman to represent Massachusetts ever in the U.S. Congress. Uh, she defeated a 10-term incumbent there in that uh, in that district. Uh, she she has experience, though, politically, locally in Boston. She, again, is the first African-American woman to serve in Boston City Council. Uh, so she's number two, if we like. Then we have Rashida Talib, 42-year-old um, congresswoman from Michigan. She represents an area of West Detroit. She has, a, again, unlike AOC, the other three do have experience in local and state-level politics, so quite a high level. She was the first Muslim to serve in the Michigan legislature. Um, she embraces a very left-wing policy, for example, Medicare for all, etc. Um, and then we have Ilham Omar. She is um, a congresswoman from Minneapolis who moved, as it said there at the beginning, from Somalia when she was 12 with her family to America. They settled first in Virginia, just outside Washington, and then um, moved west. She, though, has been very involved, again, in politics in her own state, in the activist community. And again, she also served in her state legislature uh, and then uh, won election in November. And the four together uh, have been quite vocal about why they think they were elected. They believe you know, that they are there to make a change, that they're to make, there to make a difference. And as such, you know, they want to make a bit of a fuss, a splash. It's just this, not, not just simply a naive understanding of politics. That's what they see their role as. Uh, and since coming to Washington in November, they have made quite an impact. And then this really kind of crystallized last week when they were the only four of, a, of the Democrats in the House of Representatives to vote against a border funding bill. And that really kind of led us to where we are now. But they, they collectively work together and, as I say, are very self-consciously see themselves as from that activist community and congresswomen who want to affect change. And, and the one of the four, Suzanne, that probably has been most targeted by Trump and the Republican right, although this is arguable, it's arguably a, AOC, but but possibly you could say it's it's Ilan Omar, who, as you mentioned there, she's one of only herself and, and Rashida Tlaib are the first two Muslim women to serve in Congress. But the, the, the Republican right continues to hammer her for a comment she made last March when she was giving a speech to the Council on American Islamic Relations. And she used the words in relation to the September terrorist attacks, some people did something. Far too long we have lived with the discomfort of being a second-class citizen. And frankly, I'm tired of it, and every single Muslim in this country should be tired of it. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. So you can't just say that today someone is looking at me strange, that I am going to try to make myself look pleasant. You have to say this person is looking at me strange. I am not comfortable with it. I am going to go talk to them and ask them why. I mean, I look at the one, I look at Omar, I don't know, I never met her. When she talked about the World Trade Center being knocked down, some people, you remember the famous some people. Uh, these are people that, in my opinion, hate our country. I hear the way she talks about Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda has killed many Americans. She said, you can hold your chest out. You can, when I think of America, huh? when I think of Al-Qaeda, I can hold my chest out. 
Suzanne, putting, putting aside for a moment that Trump actually was misquoting Omar there when, when he quoted her as saying that she, she, uh, she loved Al-Qaeda or whatever, whatever that quote was, she, she never actually said that. But was that a bad choice of words on her part, you know, to say some people did something in relation to these terrorist attacks? Or has she been mercilessly taken out of context uh, here? I don't think it particularly was a bad choice of words. She was criticised for almost being flippant by saying because somebody did something. And that was referring to the 9-11 attacks. Well, this kind of language, she was making the point that Muslims should not be blamed for something that their fellow Muslims have done. And she continuously makes this point in Washington that, you know, white people are not asked, well, what do you think about intervention in Iraq? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel responsible? And why is that same standards, why are those same standards not applied um, to people from other uh, ethnic or religious backgrounds? So that was the simple point she was making. And she said herself that... President George W. Bush, after 9-11, for example, said the people, he referred to the terrorists as the people who knocked down those buildings. So that's equally flippant. You know, so I think it was taken out of context. And I think she she has been very much vilified. I think her comment on Israel, she's had to walk back a bit more. And in that situation, I think we could have seen that she maybe misspoke or she was too inflammatory in her language. And I think, and she has said herself, she's apologized for those and and said she unknowingly used anti-Semitic tropes, this was a, it's, it's all about the Benjamins, she made a yes, comment. Yes, and that's yeah. been a big part of this narr- anti-Omar narrative, her stance in Israel. She is more pro-Palestinian, she's criticised Israeli policy, but she has been hammered, including by Nancy Pelosi and Democrats, about her stance on Israel. So yes, and that, I think she's had to back down. But I think in this, on this uh, example, no, I think she was using it, she was describing this event um, to make a separate point, and this has been seized upon out of context. But Donald Trump there is is parroting what he has heard uh, on Fox News and also on right-wing websites that keep replaying this selectively, this quote. Uh, and you said there at the beginning, Chris, you know, you know, maybe AOC is, is better known, but no, I think Omar has actually been more targeted by the right, and I think probably the reason is because of, of her religion. Um, you know, she is Muslim. Uh, and you can see here from her accent there, she was not born in the United States, she was born in Somalia. So I think she's got this added otherness, if you like, that some people have seized on. And it really is making her the target of attacks. But her comments on Israel a few months ago when she said it was all about the Benjamins, she um, basically said that accused her fellow members of Congress of of listening to Israel, of representing Israel because and they were receiving money, essentially, Um those comments really went down badly, not only among Republicans, but also members of the Democratic Party, some of whom are Jewish themselves. So I think, you know, I think she had to kind of backtrack some of those. But on this comment, no, I think she has been, it's unfair, uh, she's been unfairly quoted out of context. Now, you mentioned Nancy Pelosi there, Susanna. Before this racism row with Donald Trump ignited, the, the four were embroiled in a rather unseemly row with Pelosi, um, and and actually that was kind of the big story last week until this new kind of controversy came along. Just just maybe just tell us a bit about that row with Pelosi. Yes. Yeah, so as I said, these four members of Congress who are collectively known as the Squad, um, their resistance, if you like, or conflict with some members of the Democratic Party that had been simmering for the last few months, um, really crystallised in the last few weeks when they voted against a border package. Um, they felt that this funding bill did not. Uh, it contained enough protections for migrants down at the border. Uh, but Pelosi was trying to say, look, we just need to get this funding through. It's an emergency measure. We need to get money to the people who need it. So I think this was the first moment where you could kind of see them voting against their own caucus. Last week, there was a private meeting among Democrats, and this was widely leaked. But Pelosi kind of 
subtly but did take on this dissent within the group and she asked um, people within her own party not to air their dirty linen in public essentially to say if you have a problem come to me don't be taken to Twitter to criticise uh, to criticise our own policy and then she did an interview with Maureen Dowd um, that we run her, her column each week in her, in her own newspaper the New York Times journalist and in that interview this is what really escalated things she made again a very subtle veiled criticism about these four members of Congress saying they only represent four votes meaning within the Democratic Party. Um, now, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, hit back. She did an interview with the Washington Post where she basically accused Nancy Pelosi of singling out these women um, and by singling out of these newly elected women of colour. Uh, that then prompted a backlash. We had other Democrats saying that she was playing the race card with people from the African-American caucus within the Democratic Party essentially saying, how dare you play the race card? Nancy Pelosi is not racist. So this was the kind of context um, in which Donald Trump kind of waded into this internal battle uh, within the Democratic Party. And there was a hint of what was to come on Friday because when Donald Trump, on leaving the White House to go to a rally, weighed into this issue and said, oh, Nancy Pelosi has been accused, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is very disrespectful to Nancy Pelosi. You know, she should treat the House Speaker with respect. You know, Nancy Pelosi is not a racist. So this was obviously a very strange moment that Donald Trump was kind of stepping in to defend Pelosi. But obviously this was playing on his mind. And then two days later, he weighed in with these tweets. And that is why he's accusing these four congresswomen, he did it yesterday again, of themselves being racist, of turning the argument back on them. But ironically, he may have helped Democrats because they were becoming... Um, disunited over this issue. But in fact, he has now, I think, galvanized the entire party through his comments at the weekend um, around uh, each other, around their four members of Congress that have been singled out now by the president and have kind of reunited Democrats around the narrative of, look, Donald Trump is a racist and we need to get him out of office together collectively as a party in the elections next year. So um, I think it's it's quite it's been quite interesting there because Donald Trump is obviously trying to, he, he, he gloats uh, on any kind of, division within Democrats, he tries to exploit that. But this actually, ironically, may serve to unify the party, in fact. Yeah, and in fact, he, he helped Pelosi to build uh, a bridge to these four, didn't he? Because um, she she then was able to say in the last couple of days that Trump's Make America Great Again agenda was really about making America white again. So she's kind of, he gave her an opportunity, I suppose, to express solidarity with the, with the four women. Exactly. And it kind of brings Democrats back to basics that, look, we are a party that oppose a lot of the principles espoused by Donald Trump. Um, these kind of incendiary tweets and comments that are unpresidential, that are racist, that are xenophobic. And I kind of remind Democrats of the big picture here, what unites us rather than what divides us. And they were in danger, I think, of really getting down into the weeds uh, and having a very public uh, outing of their grievance, internal grievances that was not doing the parties any favours at all. Now, Pelosi has promised to bring a resolution to the House of Representatives condemning Trump's, uh, in her words, xenophobic tweets. How significant a rebuke would that be for a sitting president? It would be it, it would be significant to an extent, but I think what why she may be doing that is to see how many Republicans vote in favour of it. So I think this is about calling out Republicans. It's very strategic to say, you know, are you prepared to stand by your president or do you want to condemn these comments? And I think that's one of the reasons she's doing that. There has been talk in the last 24 hours or so that she uh, they may revive comments made by Ronald Reagan, uh, Republican president, obviously a uh, very pro-immigrant 
you know, comments by Ronald Reagan, who I, I can't remember exactly now, but, you know, talks about we can't turn our back on, on Americans, diversity and immigrants, that that might be some of the basis of this resolution. So, again, that would be a kind of a call to conscience uh, to some of these Republican members of Congress. You know, are they going to stick with the president or not? Um, and, of course, Nancy Pelosi also risks inflaming her relations with Donald Trump. There are very important conversations going on about the death, raising the debt ceiling. Um, you know, are we heading towards not quite yet, but maybe another government shutdown? While this has all been going on, Nancy Pelosi has have been having conversations with the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin about the debt ceiling, and, and a vote will, or an agreement in Congress will be needed. So this is kind of um, a dangerous time to uh, escalate tensions between the White House and uh, Democrats in Congress, when a lot of other work needs to be done in the next few weeks, in particular before they break for the summer. Also. Um, Next week, Robert Mueller, this is going to be a huge event, will testify publicly before Congress for the first time. Are we now going to see on the back of that fresh calls for impeachment? That had kind of you know, receded into the background since the publication of the Mueller report. But some of these uh, congresswomen, Omar yesterday said she believes Donald Trump needs to be impeached. May we see that again be revived next week? That will be difficult again for Nancy Pelosi. She's been arguing against impeachment. Maybe... This will change things, who knows? But I think that's going to be something that she will have to face up to next week when Mueller arrives in Capitol Hill for his testimony. And I guess one of the big questions, Susanna, but we'll finish on this, is whether whether these divisive and racist tactics by Trump will help him or damage him uh, electorally with an eye on next year's presidential election. What do you think? He may have overstepped the mark slightly. I think I think these are worse than 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 prior comments because he targeted members of Congress as well. Um, who are actually living here? It's not just immigrants trying to get the, get get into the country, but it's it's citizens. In saying that, look, as we said at the opening of this conversation, Chris, uh, the bar has been moving ever more lower uh, since his election, and his base has not abandoned him yet. And I don't know if this will be um, the issue that will uh, that will make them, you know, jump ship from Donald Trump. Also, I think the Israeli line is is, is very powerful by Donald Trump. He almost every tweet uh, over the last few days, he's referenced that the, that these women are anti-Israel um, and that is resonating with people. Uh, however erroneous his quotes may be. Uh, I think that that I expect that to to continue. Um, and that kind of may justify um, why some people agree with him that say, oh, the issue here is that they're anti-Semitic, they're anti-Israel. He's right to you know, to go after these four members of Congress, even if he's going a bit OTT on this. I think it's the Israeli thing may may resonate and, and it's really, really been pushed by Fox News constantly um, during this controversy. Suzanne, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you. That's all for this week. For more on this and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.